we're starting to understand more that if my mind is affected, then de facto my body is affected. It's not just, it's my mind or my body. Yeah. It's my mind and my body. Mm. And we know from research that, and Gabor Mate talks about this, that bodies that hold on to trauma and to anger and do not have a release in that will experience inflammation, will experience higher rates of illness overall. Yeah. And the bodies that release that have some modicum of healing. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, a show from the humans at OnSite. If you're new to this space and just beginning this journey, we hope these episodes are an encouragement, a resource, and an introduction to a new way of being. And if you're well into your journey and perhaps even made a pit stop at OnSite's Living Centered program or one of our other experiences, We hope these episodes are a nudge back towards the depth, connection, and authenticity you found. In this season, we sat down with a dozen of our favorite experts and emotional health sojourners to dig into the topics that are top of mind for all of us. Transition, relationships, trauma, just to name a few. Part practical resource and part honest storytelling that will have you silently nodding along, me too. This podcast was curated with you in mind. So with that, let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am so fired up about the conversation that we have for you. We are sitting down with Carlos Martinez. If you have been to OnSite and done a program, you might know Carlos's name and you might know Carlos's laughter. It's a signature sound on campus for sure. But he's one of our lead clinicians and brings so much heart to everything he does and brings so much heart to this conversation that we're going to have with him today about trauma. So, Excited for you to learn from his clinical expertise, but mostly excited for you to hear from his heart. Yeah, I just love that Carlos is kicking off this entire series for us. I love the clarity he brings around this topic because for so many of us, trauma is a buzzword. And I think we can even struggle to label our painful experiences with the word trauma. So even in this interview, Carlos jokingly shares how he asked his therapist the week before, like, that wasn't trauma, right? Uh, So he just has such a gentle and graceful way of walking into this topic and inviting us to approach our own stories with more love, empathy, and grace. I know that you're going to love it. Well, we are, uh, we're diving into the T word today. Spilling the T on trauma. We're spilling the T on trauma. Oh, I get it. Oh, there it is. I feel like trauma is really buzzy right now. And maybe it's just the Instagram accounts that I follow or the TikToks that happen to get in my algorithm, but I feel like it's a word that gets thrown around a lot lately. Yeah. And I want to know your thoughts on it as a mental health professional and someone who has spent their career understanding trauma, walking people through that. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Yeah. So I don't think talking about trauma more is bad. I I don't think that's bad. And it's funny. I think also it's the algorithm. Mm Mm-hmm. Like the, some things will show up on my algorithm and I'll think, no, <laughs> because I don't want them to show up on my algorithm. Yes. But actually they're like, yes, no, we, we know this is what you really want. We this know what is, you really want. Yes, what you need. You. Yeah. <laughs> like things like deconstruction and, you know, things like. Uh, Woodworking tools. Wood, oh, mo- <laughs> mobility, you know, and uh, self-talk and stuff and trauma. Yeah. And all the things and. Uh, a feature that I think that is very prominent is that 
we are not good about talking about feelings overall. Like mm-hmm. we are feelings averse. Yeah. And so now over the last, I don't know, since the pandemic and, and before that, but especially since the pandemic with the rise of TikTok and reels and algorithms and all that, that, that is showing up on some people's stuff. And, and I think it has us talking about it more. Mm. And so if we can learn from people who have a lot to teach us, like uh, Gabor Mate and mm. um, Mary Catherine McDonald and Deb Dana and, and people who've been in the field and yeah. make it really applicable and compassionate, then how could that be a bad thing? That, that's my overall take on it. I'm super biased, though. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, talking to a lot of, like, friends and family members that maybe don't have, like, a big mental or emotional health vocabulary, mm-hmm. that I feel like what I'm hearing people say more and na- more is, like, they realize largely because of the pandemic that they had really leaned into, and they're not saying it this way, but this is my interpretation, but they, like, they're drinking a ton. Or they -hmm. they leaned into their coping mechanisms and have realized that those coping mechanisms are taking them into a path that has become unhealthy uh, because they're, so dependent on them, right. you know, yeah. as coping mechanisms. They've started not working mm. or creating other problems mm-hmm. for them. And so it it almost feels like, as an observer, and I'm curious your thoughts on it, that people just need language now mm-hmm. to define their experience mm-hmm. in a way that we didn't need pre-pandemic. Yeah. And so it feels like trauma— the the rise of the the language around trauma is largely because of that. But do you feel like people are like just talking about it or are they also doing the work of learning about their emotional landscape and doing the mm. real work mm-hmm. of understanding what their traumas are? Yeah, I think it's definitely in, in my experience it's that people are are becoming more, more polarized. Mm-hmm. And in the polarization, in this corner, there's more of an exploration of things that they had not looked into. So people might drink more, sleep more, spend more, you know, all the things of more since the pandemic hit in, in a somewhat post-pandemic world. And we look at that in, in 2023 and in, in where we are and think, mm-hmm. oh, wow, that's so... That's so weird or that's so intense. Well, maybe this is just our way of of processing the trauma and traumatic things that happened. I remember yeah. speaking to Austin once, Austin and Christine at some point, right after the pandemic hit. And somewhat jokingly, also not so much to say, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if the grief and loss program is going to become our new flagship program. Mm, yeah. Like going from the Living Center program to grief and loss because yeah. of the tremendous grief and loss that we would experience. And so uh, we're not great at validating those those feelings like grief and loss. What we are good at is finding ways to amuse ourselves or to divert ourselves yeah. and to, to cope with really overwhelming feelings. And so even if we're just talking more about the ways that we cope, 
I feel like that can open a door into why are we doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the underlying reasons that that's leading to that? Yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think even just hearing you say that, I think there's so many times if you, we had had this conversation, I think three years ago, I would have said, well, people aren't making those connections or those people aren't, you know, we, I feel like when I first started working at onsite, we had a larger barrier to overcome to even say to people, Hey, you've experienced trauma. Mm. I remember going through my own living centered experience. And that first lecture we talk about is a lot of like, here is what trauma is. Mm -hmm. And we walk through what trauma does in your brain. And it was a really um, normalizing experience for me to name some of the things that I'd gone through and maybe wasn't making those connections. Mm -hmm. Are we seeing less of those light bulbs where people are coming in and saying, oh no, I know I've got trauma and I need to deal with that. Or are we still having those light bulbs? Like how much barrier do we have to overcome is what I'm wondering. We have all the barriers, (laughs) I think. As we work to identify and name the adverse experiences of our lives, many of us dismiss and grapple with labeling these experiences as trauma. I know for myself, I really wanted a solid definition so that I could determine and clearly label my experiences. But it's never that black and white. I've heard quite a few definitions over the years, but Carlo shared a really beautiful definition of trauma from Dr. Mary Catherine McDonald. He said, trauma can be defined as an overwhelmed nervous system that doesn't have a home. We asked him to explore this idea a little bit more. There can be a slippery slope on one side, we don't want to have the view the view that, well, everything was trauma. Right. You know, everyone's had trauma. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit closer to it. But to say that everything is traumatic, if everything is trauma, then no, nothing is trauma. Yeah. If I have nowhere to take the trauma to, so there's the thing that happened to me, mm-hmm. which is deeply traumatic. And then there's the fact that there was no one to reflect back to me, oh my God, that was so horrible. And that's a trauma in and of itself. So people are coming to our programs and having the realization, no, I I know, uh, I know to some extent, and uh, there's still some discovery to be made. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I, as I say sometimes in my lectures that, that discovery is part of the process too. Like I I need to not know that that was trauma. Like I, I might ask myself the questions, mm-hmm. you know, was it, was it really trauma? Was it really that bad? I asked my therapist this <laughs> just a month ago. Uh, like I know I've laid everything out to you. I know I've talked about it and I know it's bad, but was it, was it really bad? Mm-hmm. And there's a part of us that needs to step back and say, no, no, it, it couldn't have been that bad because my system didn't have the resources to take in just how bad it was. Yeah. So it's like an unfolding process. So your nervous system was overwhelmed and so you, some part of you is protecting yourself. Like that's how you survive, right? Oh, yeah. To be able to move forward and say, okay, no, I can handle this. I can keep going. Right, yeah. Or you would have not been able to. Yeah. Part of the healing, I think, is not just talking about what happened to them. It's also meeting with other people who've had the same experience and say, oh, mm. yeah, me too. Yeah. And yeah. no, you're not crazy. Yeah. You know, oh, your back has been hurting you and there are no good physical reasons why. Oh, mm. yeah, that makes sense. Oh, you, 
you wake up every morning at two or one thirty, and you can't get back to sleep. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Me too. And having other people who are on that continuum is just so it's relieving to know, Oh my God, I'm not the only one. Yeah. We were at a dinner last night, Mackenzie and I, and several people at the table were talking about sort of their chronic health issues Mm -hmm. and different sort of things that they have done Mm -hmm. to try to help heal them. Mm -hmm. And somebody said, like, what's the most impactful thing that you've done for your health? You know, getting over kind of autoimmune Mm -hmm. type chronic pain. And they said, go to onsite. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah. And it just struck me around like, you know, she – Went to on-site not Mm -hmm. because I, like, want to get my body feeling better. I want to, like, treat this pain. Mm -hmm. But that being the best thing that she's ever done, it just struck me of, like, oh, my gosh. And it just echoes kind of what you're saying, too, is, like, the trauma is, like, the root cause, maybe, Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. some of that or contributing factor. For sure. Yeah. But, you know, like you think about the symptoms, not even maybe being able to define what mm. the cause yeah. or contributing factors are. Yeah. And look at how we view medicine here in the West versus in the East and in other places. If I have a symptom, then there's a drug or there's yeah. a prescription or there's a, here, don't do this, versus the symptom is, it's an underlying revelation of what's happening in my mind and my body Mm. because those are the same you know we're starting to understand more that if my mind is affected then de facto my body is affected it's not just it's my mind or my body yeah it's my mind and my body Mm. and we know from research that and Gabor Mate talks about this that bodies that hold on to trauma and to anger and do not have a release in that, will experience inflammation, will experience higher rates Mm. of illness overall. And the bodies that release that have some modicum of healing. Yeah, that's amazing. I believe that. The other thing that struck me when you were talking is how many times I hear clients say, I came in thinking I was going to work on one thing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then I like needed to work on something totally different. And it's like revealed to them in the process of, Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of times the thing that we think is the trauma, mm-hmm. while it might have been traumatic or contributing factor, that sometimes there's something under it. Yeah. That how, it just stirred back up. And how scary is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How terrifying must that be? And and many times when people come in on the first night, they will say something to the effect of, I'm afraid it won't work. Mm-hmm. Like whatever it is, yeah. whatever you're offering, I'm afraid that won't work. And then I'm afraid that it won't be enough. Mm. Or I'm afraid that I'll open up to some things to complete strangers that have never heard anything. that have never shared anything like this before. And I, I believe, and research backs us up, that telling our story in a cohesive way, and that's really important, the cohesive way, but telling our story to people who can hold our story and who maybe have experienced parts of our our story and can say, oh my God, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And no, you're not crazy for having that thought. And no, you you wake up screaming every night. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Telling our story from not exhaustively tell every detail of the story, 
but instead just to tell key parts of my story mm-hmm. that reveal this is who I am, this is how I got here, this is what I think about myself. These are the, the things I, I tell myself about me. That's, that's incredibly healing. Hey friends, Mackenzie here. I wanted to quickly interrupt this interview to share a short story with you. A few years ago, I was listening to an onsite alum share their story and something clicked inside of me. I realized that while nothing was wrong in my life, I actually began to wonder if there was more I was missing. What if the overwhelming feeling of anxiety and stress that I had just accepted as my normal didn't have to be a part of my life? What if my relationships didn't drain me and I could actually set the boundaries to create the type of relationships I wanted to exist in? What if I could interrupt the narratives that I had just accepted as fact? Shortly after, I attended Onsite's Living Center program, and I started on my own journey of more. More peace, more clarity, more fun, more wholeness. I want to invite you to explore that more. There's nothing wrong with you. But what if there's more? If you've been considering an Onsite program for a while, or if this is the very first time, I invite you to dare to consider the possibility that the more you're seeking is actually something we all deserve. You can explore our offerings at experienceonsite.com or connect with one of our incredible admissions team members at 1-800-341-7432. They'd love to have a confidential call with you and connect you to the right resource for you. Can you speak more to that fear? Because I, when you... We all hear like, the body keeps the score, the body keeps the score. And I am sometimes terrified by that idea because I do want a quick solution. I want to say, okay, my body is keeping the score and the answer might actually be something I'm scared to look at. Yeah. And I want this chronic illness. I want this tension. I want whatever this thing in my body is happening. I can say, okay, I think this is probably connected to something in the past, but I'm terrified to do that work. I'd rather just have a quote-unquote medical-like symptom solution, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you speak more Is there to, a pill for that? Is yeah, that exactly. <laughs> exactly, like, is there a pill? That's really the yeah, question I have. can I have a prescription? Uh, yeah. Well, good news, bad news? Yeah. What do you want first? Oh, let's take the good news Oh, first. yeah? Okay, all right. So the good news is that I, I'd say nervous systems are repairable. Hmm. They are. They're they're part of our body system and with work. And here's the bad news. Our nervous systems don't work like vending machines. You put this thing in and then poof, like it, it takes work to befriend our nervous system Mm. because our nervous systems were overwhelmed and jolted and mistreated and we came away thinking up means down, you know, black is white. Like it takes time Mm -hmm. to befriend our nervous system and to validate for ourselves and say, yeah, 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 I would think that, Mm -hmm. wouldn't I? Because we didn't have a a nurturing figure around us saying it's going to be okay. Or, Maybe even saying, I don't know if it's going to be okay, and I'm here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And no matter what happens out there, I'm here. 
some of us didn't have that. And so, or some of us, we were the ones who had to provide that for our caregivers. Like yeah. we, as children, had to say to our caregivers, it, it's okay, mommy, or it's okay, daddy, or it's, it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Like, ugh. <laughs> that just makes me go, oh. And so, yeah, my my nervous system would be off mm-hmm. and looking for looking for something. And I get like that fear of, ooh, well, what's what could be wrong? Yeah. And I just know that once I have the space to be able to start looking into it, and the space is created by connection with safe community, connection with meaning or purpose, or some mm-hmm. might call it higher power or faith or religion or whatever, uh, connection with others and with myself, mm-hmm. then I'll have the more sp- I'll have more space to say, yeah, I can look at that. I can, I can look at that. I remember when early in my early, early in my recovery journey, I had some recovered memories. And that was when there was this huge debate, are recovered memories even real? Mm. And I had built up probably over two months, the courage to call a place and go in for an appointment and, Mm -hmm. First session, spill everything about what's going on. And the therapist says, yeah, so I don't really believe in recovered memories, so I won't work with you on that. But it sounds like some decent stuff you can work on with like your family of origin stuff. And I left just broken. Yeah. Like I remember going through the process of coming, just coming awake mm-hmm. to some of the things that I experienced. I remember going to Barnes & Noble or borders and going to the self-help and the psychology and then sexual abuse mm. and then abuse for boys. And remember, like I couldn't for the first couple of months, like I couldn't even look at the titles of the books. Yeah. And then I worked up enough courage to look at the titles of the books. And then I worked up enough courage to reach over and grab one of the books. And so it will unfold. I, I really believe that as we have the space, it'll unfold. Mm. Can you say from like a therapist perspective a little bit more just about recovered memories and yeah. what they are? I feel like so much of, I was wondering when you were talking earlier, Mackenzie, and then hearing you talk more, so much of I feel like what is defined in my mind about yeah. recovered memories is from like, really like dramatic movies in the entertainment industry around like how people have found out, you know, like something. And I just wonder if that's something that our listeners have experienced. Like how, how do you navigate like that? And yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, I wish my, that therapist had known what we know today. Mm -hmm. I make up, had he known it, he might've used it. Hopefully. Mm -hmm. What we know today, sometimes people will show up and will say, oh, my God, I'm terrified of having more memories or having any memories at all. Or the other side of it will say, I have no memory. Mm. Like, how can I work on my trauma if I don't have any memory at all? The good news is that we don't have to. It shows up in your body today. Mm -hmm. And so if we do no, if we do zero memory work, because memory can be, Subjective. Subjective as well. Yeah. Like I I have my memories of how 
things were when I grew up. I'm sure if I asked my two sisters, they would have vastly different recollections Mm -hmm. and stories of what happened. I don't need to remember because my body is experiencing the effects of the trauma. Okay. So the good news is that we know now is that all we have to do is work on befriending our nervous system. It's not Mm. like a, a detailed unpacking of, okay, then this happened. Okay, then this happened. Okay, then this happened. It is true that one of the tools we use in, in the trauma program, it's a, it's a timeline. We have people tell their story. They tell parts of their story. But again, the overall purpose of that is to tell a cohesive narrative, like a, a narrative that has a beginning, middle, and end. And I see myself at the end and moving on forward mm. from that. Again, that doesn't include every single thing that ever happened to me. There's no way. What instead we focus on is, okay, since I've had some traumatic things happen to me, I remember some of them. How is it showing up in my body today? Oh, well, glad you asked. Uh, Let me tell you how it's showing up in my body today. I isolate from other Mm. people. I self-sabotage. I don't go to bed until 2 in the morning because I feel like I don't have control over my Mm daytime schedule. And so that's my time that I'll stay up until two and watch like stupid TV or scrolling or whatever. It shows up in my lung capacity or Mm. in this autoimmune issue, or it's showing up in a lot of different ways. And then the trauma work becomes, (sighs) where are you? Where's your body? What are you feeling in your body now? It's a new experience many times for a lot of us trauma survivors to be able to say, oh, that's what my body's feeling. Mm. Fe- feeling? What do you mean feeling? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here. I don't like being in my body enough to tell you what it's actually feeling. And so the recovery work is befriending my nervous system, coming back into my body, coming back into and creating and cultivating safe, internally safe places, cultivating safe relationships, safer relationships, Mm -hmm. being present, like that, that's the work Mm -hmm. that I wish that therapist had known back then. Yeah, that's really helpful. Can you speak more just tangibly of like befriending your nervous system? You talked a little bit about like breath work. You talked about like getting Mm -hmm. into your body and presence. Like Mm -hmm. what are some of those other... It feels like maybe an intimidating idea, but the yeah. things that you said were really simple practices. Yeah, well, one of them speaks to, to what you said earlier about someone who would just validate my experience. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is me and myself, my authentic self, validating the emotional experience I'm having and saying, yeah, anyone anyone would feel this way. Yeah. You're freaked out. Um, you're terrified that this friendship is going to end. It's going to, this person's going to abandon you. Yeah. That's because you're abandoned. Mm. You are terrified that one ache and pain is, oh my God, that this is it. (laughs) This is, this is the end. Uh, Yeah, of course. And so the beginning of that work is validating my experience and saying, yeah, and anyone, my guy, my dude, my, (laughs) my lady, and anyone would feel that way. Yeah. And then from there, Cultivating some practices of just like kindness, some breathing, getting sunlight in the golden hour, like first thing in the morning, Mm. 
maybe treating my body to some good experiences, getting a massage or having uh, protein in my breakfast rather than chocolate frosted sugar bombs, which <laughs> we all want. Maybe so not great. every day, yeah. maybe some days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So things like that, you know, th- yeah. things that that will normalize the experience that my nervous system is having. Oh, I'm in a room where there's a lot of talking and noise and, mm-hmm. you know, clinking of plates and forks and stuff. I got to get out of there. That That's really kind of my nervous system. Just I, I need a moment. Mm. And rather than grin and bear it or pretend or say, oh, come on, you're an adult. You should be. No, I, I need a minute. And not stigmatize that or penalize myself for that to say, yeah, I need I need some quiet. Yeah. Mm. It's good. I think um being a parent has helped me be in better relationship with myself. Mm. Uh, I was just thinking, you're like, I need a moment. Like I've been teaching my daughter how to take a break. Like, we're gonna take a break. Mm-hmm. Not you're not in trouble. Mm-hmm. You're just something is going on where you can't handle this situation. We're going to go. We're going to take a break. We can go read. Do you want to take a break alone or do you want me to go with you? Yeah. And the other day I was like, mom needs to take a break. Mm. She was like, mom needs to take a break. <laughs> I said, yeah, I need to go take a break. I'm yeah. going to go by myself and I'll be back. And so she like snuck in on me and I was just like reading. Yeah. And then the next day oh, I couldn't find her and I went and found her and she was reading. She was mom, I'm taking a break. <laughs> um, so and so cute. I think, I just have watched as she gets overwhelmed, mm. I create space for her to to take care of herself, but I don't always do that for myself. And so yeah. it's been an invitation to take care of myself in yeah, a way. So what a gift. I that thought that. just came into my mind. I was thinking earlier when you were talking, you mentioned the healing trauma program and mm-hmm. kind of how we mm. talk people through their stories. And then we've referenced a couple of times to the Living Centered Program, and there's trauma work inherently yeah. in that too. Sure. How do you like think about the difference in those two programs as it relates to trauma? Yeah. With people in the Living Centered, I typically think that, that of course, there is trauma. There are traumatic events that happen with people in the Living Centered. The, I, I went through Living Centered and unpacked my family of origin stuff, included mm-hmm. some abuse. With the Healing Trauma Program, it's a differently held container mm-hmm. for an overall, for a community that will have much more in common of trauma. Mm-hmm. The Living Center, there are traumatic things that happen, and it's more geared towards people who are in like a stage of life where they're exploring things about their career or relationship or what do I want to do? I want to look at my relationship with my kids or my job or, you know, I feel off kilter with things. I'm putting too much time in my career or um, I haven't taken time to connect with me more. With the Healing Trauma Program, I envision that as people who are specifically coming to work on either an event like the post-traumatic stress disorder, one or two events or a few events, uh, or maybe complex PTSD or developmental trauma, developmental Mm -hmm. trauma being like a lot of things that happened growing up. And then complex would be all the things happening in developmental plus the big ticket items plus, you know, plus, plus, plus. 
And so that people, the community in the healing trauma will have that a lot more of that in common and in focus. And it's specifically geared towards people who are working through that together. Yeah. That level of trauma. I attended the Living Centered program, gosh, it was like six summers ago. And I went because I had experienced, I was experiencing a lot of burnout, mm-hmm. a lot of, I don't know, it was really like the first time in my life that I felt like I couldn't kind of contain my feelings and hide them away from people, yeah. that they were mm-hmm. kind of leaking out. And I was really uncomfortable. Like I remember a couple of people being like, I can tell you're sad and angry about this like delusion of sort of a relationship yeah. and some other stuff. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not comfortable with you seeing yeah. that. You know, yeah. I, I was not trying to show you that. Right. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> get off. <me. laughs> I know. And, and so, you know, it, it's, I did, it didn't even occur to me at the time that that experience was traumatic, although mm-hmm. it was, of course. Yeah. But it was like the Living Center program was the perfect place for me because it was such a lens opener. Mm-hmm. I could see, like, look at that experience and then my lifetime of experiences and connect the dots and understand how I'd gotten myself in the situation that ended so badly yeah. and unearthed that, like, a lot of what was keeping me stalled in life was like the fear of experiencing that again Mm. so much that I was like scared to make any kind of moves or Mm -hmm. decisions. Yeah. And so it was like really important Mm. trauma work. I'm doing air quotes, but I wouldn't have known to define it as trauma then because it wasn't so in the vernacular where it is now. And I think now people have those experiences and think they need the healing trauma program. Mm -hmm. Yep. And really the Living Center program might be a great first stop for them. Yeah. You know, and as someone who also went through Living Centered and I worked on my childhood abuse and trauma and there are a lot of things there are things that, that are deeply traumatic from my upbringing and someone going through the healing trauma, like the the whole theme of the week essentially is going to be everything, everything you're feeling now makes sense. Mm. And then people start feeling validated in space, given enough to tell their stories, which are deeply traumatic. And I think, I see this in the work as well, especially with the healing trauma, that people will share their stories and maybe come to come to grips with the fact that it really was that bad. Mm-hmm. Like we've spent so many years telling ourselves, no, I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that bad. And that's not that that can't happen in the living center, obviously. The living center, I think, is more geared, though, towards this is what it was like in my family growing up. And this is how it shows up in my relationships today. Mm, Yeah. The healing trauma is more, these are the traumatic things that happened Mm. to me. And this is how it shows up in my life today. That's a really helpful distinction. Oh, good. I don't think I heard it that way. Yeah. I think that that's about as cogent a way as I can think of it because the living centered is going to focus on that relationship with our little one, our inner child Mm -hmm. and looking at family of origin dynamics, whereas the healing trauma is going to be unpacking the timeline and then having that cohesive narrative. This is what ha- These are the things that happened to me. 
They may include my family of origin. Many times they do. And they may have happened in my community, my school, my church, my Mm. synagogue, my, uh, the country, you know, the war I grew up in. So all of those things can show up differently. Yeah. It occurred to me when you were talking that that voice that says it's not that bad Mm. is like kind of an attempt of being resilient or courageous Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how important it is for us to reframe what resilience looks like Mm -hmm. and what courage looks like. Mm -hmm. And it's really being able to realize that there's like strength in admitting we need help. Mm -hmm. There's strength in looking at how bad something is actually Mm -hmm. and owning like what you've actually overcome. Yeah. Yeah, I think about that that gap of time when I could I only had the strength to walk up to the bookcase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just I couldn't I could not. And then I could grab a book, and then I could read the table of contents, and then I'll never forget having bought my first book. Oh. It was such a big deal. Yeah, such a big deal. Yeah. And like you think about it, like growth mm-hmm. and kind of like mm-hmm. like strengthening yeah. our muscles of yeah. like, hey, like each step yeah. and each movement sort of helped you be ready for the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're so strong, you know, and getting stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And it came, mm-hmm. it unfolded. Yeah. There's a there's a song we use sometimes in the work by Luca Fogel called Unfolding. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? And he says, uh, you're not broken, you're unfolding. I love mm. it. Yeah. You're not broken. I am unfolding. That's really good. I think listening to this conversation, you kind of started in the beginning and said, there's kind of two aspects of this, right? Like this experience happened, I faced this, this, this thing happened, and then I was alone in it. Mm. Or I didn't have a safe place to go with it within myself or mm-hmm. with other people. And so it has me thinking, one about the work that we do at Onsite and how important mm-hmm. that is to have someone reflect that back to you. But then also, it's not like once we start to do this work, life isn't going to still keep happening. And so what what are the shifts and how do you prepare differently of like, hey, I know that I'm going to have a traumatic experience. Like mm-hmm. I can remember giving birth a couple years ago and it was a pretty traumatic birth. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, this is something I'm going to have to unpack and process yeah. later. I have to put a pin in it right now mm-hmm. because now this small child is dependent on me and I have to keep them alive. And my husband and I just looked at each other like, hey, what we just went through, that was really effed up. Yeah. And we're going to have to deal with that. We can't do it right now. Yeah. And so what does that look like as you start to build some of those resilience muscles and do some of this work? What is the continuation of it? Yeah. I think it's finding a therapist mm-hmm. who's good who has the space to help you walk through it and work through it. Mm-hmm. I think it's giving yourself time and being mm. patient with yourself and kind. I think it's creating a community, finding safe people, and finding people who, I think Brene Brown says, who have earned the right to hold your story. Mm. Yeah. And what we know from trauma work and, and recovery is that Connection is a biological imperative. We we are we must connect. Yeah. We do not survive without connection. And so 
some of us are have been good at telling ourselves we don't need that. Yeah. So first of all, eh, <laughs> that, not that's true. a lie. That's <laughs> not true. And it's scary. Mm-hmm. It's scary to do the work of of seeking connection and so involvement in a twelve like ACA CODA mm-hmm. and adult children of alcoholics or codependents anonymous or some something mm-hmm. uh, finding a, a connecting therapist someone and I always ask when uh, when I interview a new therapist like have, are you in therapy yeah. Because I don't want a therapist working their stuff out on me. And then, yeah, being kind, Mm. giving myself space and a break and stepping away from, you know, this voice that says, no, you must, you have to, you know, I should be. Mm. No, maybe not. Maybe my day off is my day off and I don't have to be productive and do a gazillion things. Maybe I just rest. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. 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 I'm sure that this conversation has been a great resource for people already. Yeah. What are some other trauma resources you recommend for people that are just starting their journey? Yeah. For people who are just starting out, one of the things I like about you know, what we talk about it at onsite is the two degree shift. Mm-hmm. So a good resource is. Whatever whatever good thing that you want to think of that might be a good practice, do that in a two-degree way. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, I need to start meditating. I need to, ooh, I need to meditate all the time. No, maybe I meditate for like five minutes in the morning, maybe every other day. Mm. Maybe I I want to overhaul my nutrition or my relationship with my body. Maybe... Maybe I eat one thing today that my body would be grateful for. Yeah. So I think a a beginning tool, especially for people just starting this workout, would be give yourself some space. Many of us had the experience of not being given any space. Go to your room because I said so. You have 30 seconds to cry. You know, you get that room done. Mm. Why didn't you get an A? (laughs) And... I think a great antidote to that would be just breathe. I love that Carlos brought up the idea of the two-degree shift. At OnSite, we believe that the most pivotal, meaningful, and sustainable change happens through small action over time. For me, it takes the pressure off of having to have all the answers right now. I can, as Carlos says, just breathe. Hmm. Another idea he presented was befriending ourselves and our nervous system. If, like studies suggest, it takes 60 hours to build a close friendship, why wouldn't we take the same approach befriending our nervous systems? I asked Carlos if he had any tangible resources to help us do this work, and here's what he suggested. Oh, really good one, if you can stomach it. I'm I'm working through right now uh, uh, the shadow work journal. Oh, cool. Where do you get that? Uh, Amazon. Okay. All things Amazon. So it's called the Shadow Work Journal. They're, they're, it's got a black cover, and it's, it's, uh, there are quite a few 
What do you mean stomach it? What is a? I mean, what's the challenging the part cha- of it? When you do shadow work, it's <laughs> it just like, sounds kind of ominous. Yeah, it's you know, it's not okay. List out who makes you mad and why everything's wrong with them. No, <laughs> <laughs> no this is what uh, what practices do you have in yourself mm. that? What is it about other people that really is about you? Yeah. Mm. Where are you not being kind with yourself? You know, so it's like, it's looking at the parts of you that l- lurk in the shadows yeah. and saying to those parts of us, yeah, you have a home here too. Mm. You're okay too. I, And you had every reason to develop. Like mm-hmm. I, it makes sense that you would have developed. I'm not going to get rid yeah. of you. Yeah. You served a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. You mm. helped me survive. So how do I become friends with that? That that's a good good starting point. Mm. Be prepared. I always uh, in these conversations, I'm so encouraged and I'm so like drawn in by the idea of just like slowing down. Like I feel like I'm often on the verge of tears in these conversations because it's so mm. counterintuitive to who I am as a person. I want to mm. like the little bit's good, a whole lot's better. Like let's just get this done. Let's right. move. But there is a sweetness and an invitation in that that mm. I I really love. And I love the idea of befriending yourself. And I remember one of our therapists once saying that they were in recovery um, from addiction. And they said, I am I'm grateful for my addiction. And yeah. I had never heard it in that context, mm. but they just said it 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 helped me survive. Yeah. Um, my addiction kept me alive long enough to be able to do the work and get in recovery. Yeah. And to be able to look at our stories in that way and the parts of us mm-hmm. is just so kind. Yeah. So thank you for that invitation and yeah. the kindness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what would be your last piece of encouragement to anyone who maybe started listening to this episode and is a little nervous around this? Yeah. Uh, my encouragement to you would be, of course, you're nervous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's scary looking at these things because we didn't have someone... I didn't have someone who could slow down enough and say, yeah, your fear makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're, you're frustrated? Yeah. Uh, or, yeah, I'm sorry I said that to you and mean it. Yeah. If you can take nothing else from this but an invitation to start being kinder to yourself, man, what a, what a start. I don't know who originated this, but if shame would have worked, it would have worked by now. Mm. Like if speaking harshly to myself would have done the job, I'd be, I'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, Mm -hmm. it won't. And the other thing is, uh, remember seeing this creator talking about children who are given tons of toys versus being given one or two toys, that the kids who are given one or two toys do so much better. Mm. And they learn how to deal with boredom Mm -hmm. and to be with themselves. And they learn to use that one or two toy in much more creative ways. And then they learn how to self-regulate. And so maybe the invitation is, is your life so filled with all the toys right now Mm -hmm. that you're feeling exhausted? when you put your head on the pillow at night. And then the invitation is maybe seek out some of the quiet and get some support, you know, find find your support and 
you'll have more space to to address what comes up in the quiet. Hmm. So good. That's it. Lindsay, anything else? No, just loved being with you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was fun. I hope you loved this conversation as much as we did. I hope you walk away more equipped to take the space you need to embrace and face your story. Even if, as Carlos shared, today is just a day where you can briefly look and then need to turn away. Honor where you are, my friends. If we can come alongside you in any way, we'd love to. Remember, trauma is not what happened to you, but what continues to happen to you. Be gentle with yourselves today. And join us next week for another episode of this series. Thank you.